Come into God's presence with singing. Enter God's courts with praise. Let us worship the Lord our God. the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, ever our Savior and Defender in Jesus Christ, you have shown yourself to be the God who is willing to defend us against all the world could do to us or that we in our weakness do to ourselves. 
In the Holy Spirit, you call us from our separate ways into community in order that we might care for one another and defend each other against every temptation. Now be with your community in worship as we listen for your word and respond with our hymns, prayers, praise, and service in the defense of the dignity of all who need it. We ask this in the name of the one who is our sure fortress and defense, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord, to gather for praise. And because we have gathered in the house of the Lord, that means that our word of welcome is one that has no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. Christ welcomes all, and in his name, so do we. Uh, we'd be very happy if you'd please sign the friendship pad and send that down the pad and back again. Even if you're the only person on the pew, go ahead and sign it. And then when everybody's had a chance to look at it, tear the sheet off and place it on top of it. It'll make the usher's life a little bit easier as they clean up the sanctuary following worship. I'd also like to invite you to a brunch at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall, just out this door to my my left, not my right, your left, and down a short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have a scrumptious brunch. Those who already had a little bit between the services already know how good it is, but if you missed that, there's plenty. Please do come down and have some brunch, and, and most importantly, the opportunity to engage deeply with one another as we share time together over a meal. Let me highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to note that this is week two out of five on a series on the Lord's Prayer, and following worship, we will be offering an opportunity for our members to gather and to have conversation about what I've preached or any thoughts that are on your mind. Cindy Jarvis, Reverend Cindy Jarvis, will be leading that discussion today, and it takes place in the McCall Room, which is just up the stairs that you'll find as you, or using an elevator as you head down toward Old Buttonwood Hall. Grab some brunch, some, some uh, blueberry French coast casserole, and come on up and enjoy the conversation as well. I'd like to note that the Women of Wit and Wisdom are having a gathering this Wednesday for tea and art at 3 p.m. That also takes place in the McCall Room. And Jean Whitmer will be sharing a slide presentation on women in art. And I understand there will also be scones available. So please plan to come and take part of that. Let um, Diane Rogers know if you'd like to, though, so that she can count on you for that. Our TNTs, our 20s and 30s, are going on a hike, so you can find out information about that and email Annie Lecluse about it. And our final announcement is just a reminder that we will be having a new members class next Sunday from 10 to 2, and that will give those who wish the opportunity to join the congregation to become members of the congregation. So whether you have worshipped with us a week or two or a year or two or even longer, if you feel that God is calling you into being a part of First Church in that formal way, we would love to receive you into membership. It is offered online as well as in person, so you can send me a note and we'll make sure you're signed up either for virtual or for in person. With all of these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. We are reminded, ours is not a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is because of his likeness to us has been tested in every way as we are, only without sin. Let us therefore boldly approach the throne of our gracious God, where we may receive mercy and in God's grace find timely help. Eternal God, your love for the world you have created is boundless. We go about our lives largely forgetting that even the breath of life is a generous gift from the fullness of your love. We look at the world and all the problems that concern us so, and we become fearful that our own efforts will fail. We forget that what we love is beloved also. 
and that you have given us a vision of the redemption of all creation. Forgive us, we pray, for our short-sightedness. Remind us that you who sang the world into being will always love it and us more than we can ever imagine. Through Christ our Lord we pray. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah. God speaks, saying, I have taken you up. I have fetched you from the ends of the earth. I have summoned you from its farthest corners. I have called you my servant. I have chosen you. I have not cast you off. Fear nothing, for I am with you. Be not afraid. I am your God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
first lesson is taken from the prophet Amos. Amos is speaking to those who find religion boring, inopportune, in the way. Hear this, you that trample on the needy, and bring to ruin the poor in the land, saying, when will this new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of these deeds. Second lesson is taken from the first letter to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings, and for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. And for this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Our gospel lesson is taken from the sixth chapter of Matthew. We read there the first 14 verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. <clears throat> Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not Heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way Our Father in heaven, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you ever noticed how much literature and film play off a theme of dystopia? Game of Thrones. A perverse and sadistic king and queen oppress and terrorize the population. Squid Game. Extreme poverty causes people to sign up to compete in deadly games with the prize money increasing every time someone dies. On the beach, a nuclear holocaust has killed off the northern hemisphere, and the southern hemisphere is sitting around waiting for the prevailing winds to blow death into their lives. Even the Star Wars movies were a battle between an evil dystopian empire and the forces for good. Now, I grew up on the original three, which of course starts at episode four and goes through episode six, and they've been out long enough that I don't feel I am spoiling any plots now. But I did recently watch seven through nine on a transatlantic flight to pass the time, and if you've never seen one, here is the basic plot of the original three. Three attractive young people set out to defeat the evil empire and save the galaxy from a dastardly emperor with Billy D. Williams flying the Millennium Falcon for the final battle. Which, come to think of it, is the exact same plot from the last three movies. Three attractive young people set out to defeat an evil empire and save the galaxy, and Billy D. Williams is still flying the Millennium Falcon. It's the same plot. In fact, they're even fighting the same villain in the end. But aren't we always fighting the same villain in the end? Sure, the particularities may vary, but there is always a choice between good and evil. We are always choosing between the way of life abundant and the way of sin. And wholeness and brokenness seem always to be pitted one against the other. Now, some of the earliest texts of the Hebrew Scriptures knew exactly how to identify the villain. The villain is chaos. In a thread of theology known as creation theology, God, who has created the world good, has dictated that only diligent activity, worship, and the ordering of daily life can ward off the forces of chaos that threaten to overwhelm God's creation. Now, naturally, as the Old Testament instructs us in the developing understanding of God made known to the people through the history of Israel, in time, the villain evolves until in the final book of the Bible, the culmination of God's reign is a pitched battle between the forces of good and the forces of destruction. But in every iteration, God's people attest that good is not the same as evil. Life is not the same as death. Sin is not the same as wholeness. And perhaps this seems like a stark series of polarities, but there is a clear difference between that which is holy and good and that which is not. The redemption narrative of God is the overcoming of sin with reconciliation and of death with life. And in every age, God's people have encountered a world that stands in need of redemption. In this second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we encounter a prayer that is eschatological in nature. 
meaning that it is not oriented toward time as we experience it, but instead is oriented toward the fulfillment of time, the end of time. God's people are praying for God to bring about God's reign, to overthrow the forces of evil and chaos and death, and usher in God's reality. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches, Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes when you are all in all. In this second petition of the Lord's Prayer, God's people cry out for a redeemed world. Just as indeed God's people have cried out at every age for the redemption of the particularities of the world as they know it. It would be delusional of us not to acknowledge that each of us encounters this petition in our own way. Our prayer, thy kingdom come, does not assume that each of us see the kingdom of God emerging in exactly the same way because each of us does not encounter in our lives the exact same forces of disintegration. But whatever our personal experience of disintegration is, what we do share in common in this petition is that the, we know the world cries out for healing. Now interestingly, at least to me, the Lord's Prayer is presented differently in Matthew than it is in Luke. Now writing on the Lord's Prayer in Luke, New Testament theologian Sharon Ringe suggests that this petition should be paired with the one before it, hallowed be thy name, and she writes, the two petitions focused on God essentially affirm God's sovereignty. The prayer for God's reign to come expresses the human longing mirrored in God's own intention that has been proclaimed from the very beginning of Luke's gospel. For God's name, God's very being to be made holy, would mean simply the realization of God's divine nature. Together, these petitions affirm the victory of the divine will over projects and relationships designed for less worthy purposes. But for Matthew's very Jewish audience, however, the experience of oppressive forces would have surely seemed much closer to home. Whereas Luke's mostly Greek audience could afford to intellectualize this petition, Matthew's audience would have surely had in recent memory the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the desecration of its altar, and the very present reality of empire. When Matthew's audience heard these words, they also had a different experience of the petition from those insulated against such circumstances. I dare say that Matthew's congregation heard such words with a deep yearning that God's kingdom should come, and right away, please. It is in Matthew's gospel that a second phrase is added to the petition, on earth as it is in heaven Bring it to this present moment. Bring it to what we need. Bring it to our experiences. And in this moment, we are shifting from heaven to earth. The next petitions mark a shift from the holiness of God to the needs of God's people. And Tom Long notes, the words, your will be done on earth, recognize that only God can save the world. But the late Edward Schweitzer adds, 
Thus, whomever prays for the coming of this kingdom prays also for the establishment of Jesus' authority, which is at work in the words and deeds of his disciples and is already causing Satan to fall like lightning from heaven. Thus, in the second petition, the worshiper is praying that Jesus' will become reality in his own time and in his own life. And if I were to distill the thoughts of this cavalcade of scholars down to an essential point, it would be this. The kingdom of God has no equals, but the kingdom of God has many rivals, none of whom will win in the final redemption of life, because only God can bring the kingdom. Only God can save the world. But God's people live in the here and now with the reality of God's coming kingdom. We are living in a season when what it means to evoke the will of God has deeply different implications depending on whom one asks. For some, on earth as it is in heaven, translates to the belief that they would compel their beliefs on others by way of legal maneuverings and the passage of laws. We are living through a season when the greatest threat to the witness of the church to the will of Jesus Christ is not flagging membership numbers in congregations. It is not a persistent decline of worship attendance in the waning days of COVID-19. The greatest threat of the witness to the church to the will of Jesus Christ is not a lack of personal piety and practice in the home. No, the greatest threat to the integrity of our witness is the conflation of Christian identity and national identity. The machinations of such a conflation will no longer seek to win hearts and minds to Jesus Christ, but rather to reduce thy will be done from a turning of the heart to that which may be imposed upon another. Unless you think I am overstating the severity of this threat, such a conflation will spell disaster for the church, just as it has always spelled disaster for the church in such moments. When the church is pressed into the service of the empire, the church always loses the integrity of its witness. Thy kingdom come becomes then less about what God is doing and more about what we are doing. If we are to pray with authenticity the words, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then the driver of our faith and the driver of our practice must be the love, mercy, and justice that Jesus preached. Speaking of this problem, Esau Macaulay noted in a piece in the New York Times, You have to have religious courage. At some point, you have to speak your convictions. You have to recognize that the solution to bad theology is sometimes better theology or healthier theology. And you have to be able to articulate for your people why this stuff matters. And there's a lot of people who are just putting their head down and hoping that it goes away. And you can't just hope that it goes away and only focus on Jesus. You have to actually at some point say, what does my faith in Jesus, what does my belief in Jesus have to say about these things? Tough words, I know. But the kingdom of God cannot be compromised. Because if it is compromised, it is no longer the kingdom of God. And you have no idea how much I wish I had a lighthearted story to wrap up this sermon right now. But the more I read 
and pondered this second petition. The more I look at it in the light of the petitions that will follow, the more I am convinced that to pray for the coming kingdom of God, to ask that God's will be done on earth as in heaven, is to commit ourselves, necessarily to commit ourselves, to the vision of justice given to us by Jesus Christ, to commit ourselves to what the petitions for God's people actually ask for, knowing full well that our efforts will generally fail. That, by the way, is why this congregation mounts a witness even on such seemingly intractable issues as the problem of gun violence in our city and in our nation. We do so not because we are convinced that we can make a change in the outcome, but because we believe that the good news of Jesus Christ can actually change hearts. That is why this congregation gives money, 10% of our operating budget, to address the problems of the world. Not because we think that buying a few more socks or diapers or jars of peanut butter are going to solve the endemic issues of poverty in this city, but because we believe by doing so we align ourselves with God's kingdom work of redemption. And that's why we know that even if we can't solve all the problems of the world, because remember, only God can save the world, that's why we know that the basic act of worship, what we're doing in this moment, is the most important thing we ever do because we say God can save the world. In fact, God already has. The rest of it is just a matter of timing. Which is why I can't end with a lighthearted story but I can end with hope. The truth is, I don't believe that this world is a rotten old place. I do think the rumors of dystopia are greatly exaggerated. And I do believe that people want to live as though the world is a place of kindness and sufficiency and fellowship. Not very long ago, we got lost walking around in Glasgow, a city that we both know very well, but when the phone couldn't access Wi-Fi, there went our compass, and we needed a little help finding our way to George Square. So we stopped and asked a young man, a bicycle courier, can you point us to George Square? And he started talking, and after a second he said, just follow me, I'll take you there. To which we replied, well, we don't want to hold you up, but he was already off walking, wheeling his bicycle beside him until we reached the top of a hill, and he pointed and said, just turn left down at the bottom of that hill, and you'll be there. That's such a tiny little thing. It's minuscule, really. But I believe people want to be this way because God created us to want to be this way. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are voicing our hope for the day when that becomes the ultimate reality. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
have united our voices in song and praise of God, let us also now unite our voices in what the Church teaches us and we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We respond to God's great gift to us in Jesus Christ by making what gifts we can to God. Your morning's offerings are now received.
prophet said, Once I said I labored in vain, I had spent my strength for nothing, for no purpose. Yet in truth, my cause was with the Lord, and my reward is in God's hands. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, ever our rescue and strength. From the beginning, it has pleased you to call order out of chaos, to create covenant communities out of human anarchy. You have invited us into community where we may grow in wisdom, courage, and strength. From here you send us out into your world, where we may serve with discipline, imagination, and love. Even when in our foolishness we had rebelled against your lordship, preferring rather to create our own limited alliances based on race, or language, or wealth, and so shattering the unity and peace of your creation, you did not turn against us. Rather, in Jesus Christ, you once more renewed your bond with us by becoming one with us in him. Where we had rebelled, he obeyed. What we had discarded, he took up. What we had neglected, he completed and carried on to victory. Even now, in Holy Spirit, you continue to labor in your creation to gather up the discarded and broken pieces of our common humanity in order to create new communities of love and justice. Even now, in Holy Spirit, you call us to join you as your church, as your servant's work, as you labor for reconciliation, justice, and peace. And before all we do, even now you invite us to join with you by your Spirit in prayer. And so we begin all our labors with the work of prayer. Giver of all the energy we attempt to apply to the troubles of the world, before, before we begin, even when we can do nothing else, we are invited to pray. As we work for the health of the world, we pray for health. We pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for the ill and the dying around us. We pray for the troubled, we pray for the hungry, the abused, the vice-ridden, the neglected, even as they line our streets, inspire us to be their rescue. Even as we work for justice, we pray for justice. We pray for the poor for the oppressed, the terrorized, the victimized, the ward upon. When it seems that justice is impossible because the opponent has been so clever, we ask for your justice, that your will be done. Even as we work for acceptance and inclusion in our country, in our city, in our nation, in the world, we pray for the despised, the shunned, the rejected, those whom we secretly despise, avoid, and exclude. Merciful God, work your healing among us and join we strangers together into community. 
And even as we work for freedom, we pray for freedom. We pray for those imprisoned by ignorance, or by their own bigotry, or by vicious ideologies, or by phantoms in their own minds. We pray for those who continue to proclaim truth in the face of violence, people imprisoned for their conscience' sake. We pray for all who defend human freedom. And we pray for all who work for genuine and lasting peace. O wise and all-loving God, in Jesus Christ you have embraced the whole of our humanity and rendered us all acceptable to you for his sake. Even so, now gather up and embrace our prayers and in your wisdom render them all acceptable to your will. And in your love grant us the faith, hope, and love we need each day to do your will. We ask all these things in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray in these words, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
One of my favorite short quotations is attributed to Philo of Alexandria, who said, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And what that battle is, of course, could vary from person to person, or might say what that villain is might vary from person to person. But I think at heart, what it comes down to is we are fighting to be who God created us to be. We are fighting to be human, to live into the fullness of our humanity. And joined with God, that is how thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.